Welcome back to another episode of Talking Classical with me, Annabelle. Now, for episode 16, I've decided to do something a little bit different. We're going to be exploring the wonderful world of video game music. And who better to talk to than Dr. Tim Summers, who is an expert in video game music and ludomusicology from Royal Holloway University of London. We met on the 3rd of July at the Royal Opera House, and we had a very in-depth conversation about video game music from many different aspects, which you'll hear in this interview from the processes of game design and production to the processes and the psychology I suppose of gaming not only for the player but also the player as a listener I suppose. Um, we also talk about some of the challenges of talking about video game music as a high art versus low art um, terms which are of course very problematic in themselves. We also mention the influence of classical music and opera on video games. We talked as well about the ways in which one analyzes video game music, how this might differentiate between say a gamer compared to a music analyst to someone who is much more of a specialist in video games. And then finally we talk about the influence of gaming and video games on musical interfaces. So if you are someone who played video games when you were younger or maybe you're someone who still plays video games or if you're listening to this podcast maybe as someone who is new to classical but you're um, a gamer then welcome. It's great to have you listening to this podcast. So if you are sitting comfortably, I hope that you enjoy for the next 45 minutes or so this interview on video game music with Dr. Tim Summers. Thank you so much for um, taking the time out of your schedule to talk to me and coming in from Egham to, to talk to me today. <laughs> I know you said you had some problems with the, the train, but we're all, we're all good about that now. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're here today to talk about video game music. Um, so do you think that you'd be able to just start off by telling me about how you became interested in video game music, you know, how that um, tied in with your research interests, how you developed it as personal interest, maybe something about your background and how that fed into your interest in video games? Mm, ah, well, thank you. Um, so I, I think there are two and two parts to that answer. There's the sort of academic journey okay. um, for the sort of research side of things, but there's also the personal side of it. And I think anybody who is involved in making or producing music, there's always that personal dimension okay. to, to, to it. So in some senses, my uh, journey to studying video game music um, started as as a child, as, as playing um, music uh, and playing video games. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember vividly playing um, a video game with my dad, and I must have been pretty young at the time, maybe maybe about five. Mm-hmm. And it was a space flight game, mm-hmm. and very very primitive graphics by modern standards. And I used to be fascinated because. When you were flying your spaceship through space and you wanted to dock at a space station, Mm -hmm. you'd press a button and suddenly this music would start. Otherwise, the game would be almost silent, but suddenly the music started. And the music was the Blue Danube. Mm -hmm. And as the spaceship docks slowly in the game, when you set the docking computer on, suddenly this very beepy rendition of 
the Blue Danube appears as a reference to 2001 A Space Odyssey. Um, and I thought this was marvellous, that suddenly um, there was this music that appeared. It was it, uh, wonderful. So I've always been fascinated by music in games and its ability to, to enrapture us. But really, I suppose I'd only thought about that as a sort of a hobby or something I was interested in. And I didn't really think about that in academic terms until very much later. In terms of my academic journey, I did an undergraduate degree. Um, and as part of that, I became interested in film music. Mm-hmm. I started studying that because there's a body of literature around film music. And then from that, I, I kind of caught the musicology bug. I thought it was really fascinating, this material. Um, and I, from there, I actually did a master's um, by research on um, TV music, which had less research on it. So this is interesting. Um, and that was on about that was about the musical depiction of aliens in science fiction. Um, and then from the TV, then I, I was sort of looking to the next horizon, and it it sort of dawned on me um, that there was almost nothing at that time on on video game music. And some of my friends who were not you know, studying music would say to me, "Oh, this is fantastic music. You know, why don't you?" why aren't you studying this music as well? And I had no answer to that. Why shouldn't we be studying video game music? So that eventually morphed into my uh, PhD project. Um, And it's kind of gone from there. Um, So it's been really exciting to see this field develop. Back in about 2008, uh, well, actually probably a little bit earlier, maybe more like sort of 2006, there were maybe one or two articles about video game music. But if you whacked video game music into JSTOR and searched for music journals, most of the references you would find tended to be things like derogatory comments about electroacoustic music, saying, oh, it sounds like video game music. So it's only really since about 2007, 2008, that there's been a, a real body of research on, on video game music. So it's it's still very young in that sense. Mm. Um, it's still starting to to develop in that way. So that's how really I started becoming interested in video game music. Um, and it, I think it continues to fascinate me because um, of the way that it is music that huge numbers of people engage with. And it means a huge amount to them. Um, and whenever I, I encounter music that means so much to people, um, it's... I. I I think it's fascinating to understand it. It behooves us to understand what's going on there. If we're going to call ourselves music researchers, we can't afford to ignore this music that people are so engaged by. Um, mm-hmm. um, so I think it's very important to study video game music as, as, as part, part of that. Mm-hmm. And like you were saying, um, you know, 10 years ago, maybe even, you know, even five years ago, the climate was very different in terms of the perception of, video game music, you know, it was seen as quite trivial, it was seen as quite trite, wasn't it? So, um, I mean, did you encounter any hostility or any animosity when you were initially researching video game music or were musicologists, were people in the classical music world, were they open to your ideas? Or I think it, I think it was a combination. Um, I think by and large, I was lucky to come into musicology at a time when the lessons of what we might call the new musicology, we're really beginning to bed in. Mm-hmm. Can you just explain um, what you mean by the new musicology? Um, so the new musicology um, is a, a phrase that refers to a very broad spectrum of research that started to come of age in the 80s. Mm-hmm. It was this moment at which um, 
academic research started paying more attention to the listener experience and listener interpretation rather than just canonical great works and biographies. Okay, okay. Um, I think that there's no way that we would have been able to do video game music if it hadn't been for people come generations earlier or generation earlier studying film music mm-hmm. and widening beyond the, the sort of canonic material. Mm-hmm. Um, there was resistance from some people for video game music, um, but... I'm happy to say that really in the past few years, I haven't really encountered that, which has been great. Perhaps um, questions, but not actually resistance so much anymore. And one of the things that I've noticed amongst my colleagues, I know they won't mind me saying this, um, other people who study video game music, is that we've gone from a stage where people would say, oh, um, oh yes, I study video game music, but really my interest is in opera or something else. And video game music is a side. Okay, so you almost have to have a more, you know, serious musicology interest then. <laughs> yes, um, absolutely. But now in the past, I'd say in the past couple of years, really, we've now got to a stage where people can say, no, I study video game music and that is my main area of research. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been nice to see that. Um, and this ties a little bit into the discussion around the term ludomusicology, mm-hmm. um, which is a term you sometimes hear. So ludomusicology is a term that's associated with the study of video game music. Really, it's uh, to do with the study of music and play, mm-hmm. which is something I'm very interested in, not necessarily in games, but particularly in video games. Um, and this term has become used sometimes as a, as a synonym for video game music studies. Um, some people quite like this. And some people find uh, sort of react against it a little bit. It could be seen as controversial because it is perhaps giving a, a disciplinary term to something that perhaps doesn't need it. Mm-hmm. Is it elitist, perhaps, um, to describe that ex- sort of exclusionary? Oh, this is ludomusicological stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, and I can understand that that debate. However, having a term, having a banner for people to at least affiliate to, has been very helpful for researchers um, in a, being able to establish their legitimacy. Mm-hmm. Because if there's a, a an, an ology for it, a term for it, it helps them to say, oh, this is an established field of knowledge and I am part of that, not just some you know, crazy academic having a go at some video game music. Okay. Um, but so the term can be contentious for those who who dislike the potentially exclusive overtones that it has. Okay. This is a a term that um, was used by um, Guillaume Laroche. It was a term adopted and popularised by Roger Mosley, looking at music and play. And uh, what we decided is that when a group of us got together to to put on a conference about video game music, we used this term to publicise it and just Mm -hmm. to... Um, as a fun little word to use that we thought encapsulated the sort of things we were interested in. Okay. Um, And since then, it's gained sort of more currency as time has gone on. But I think it encapsulates a lot of things that we're interested in, ideas of music and play, which I think goes to the heart of a huge amount of how we engage with music, Mm -hmm. not just in games, but Mm -hmm. the idea of fun, engagement, dynamic relationships. I think it's important to so much of what we do with music. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you think that you'd be able to maybe just break down a little bit the role of um, 
video game music for the player um, and maybe that ties in with perhaps the player being a, a listener as well. Mm. Well, again, I think this is another reason I'm so interested in video game music is because video game music is teaching people how to listen to music. Mm -hmm. It's teaching them how to interpret it. Um, and yes, that happens in, in games and all sorts of other media as well. But in video games, you have that interactive connection. Mm. So you are being prompted to listen mm -hmm. because if the music changes, it can help you win the game. It can help mm -hmm. you give more information. Um, so in an interactive context, you're being prompted to engage in that musical interpretation. Mm -hmm. I have friends who um, I used to watch playing video games and they wouldn't have um, formal musical training at all. But by they quickly learn to identify musical features and they would say, oh, that music has started or that thing has happened or the music is still doing that state. Mm -hmm. That tells me this mm -hmm. fact about the game. So um, in a game, you are being asked to interact with the music, even if it's not explicit. It's part of how people play games, mm -hmm. um, even if they wouldn't consider themselves musicians. Um, so yeah, so in video games, you have that interactive connection which comes with all sorts of possibilities. Um, video game music helps to build these virtual worlds for us, um, tells us about beyond what we can just see on the screen. It can tell us about the rules of the game, um, the kind of reality that it is. Um, yes, sometimes purely informational stuff about whether we are winning, whether we are losing, what else is going on. Um, but it becomes a holistic part of how we engage with games because it's one of those channels of a game beyond touch and vision. And that audio and those things come together in an interactive way with the player that really cements them all together. Um, that's part of what I think makes music in video games so potent to players and mm -hmm. why they have such reactions to it a lot of the time. Yeah, so. yeah. It's almost like they internalise the music in a subconscious way then? Um, absolutely, I would, I, I would agree with that. Sometimes subconscious and sometimes very consciously as well. Okay, okay. Uh, it can be a very direct cognitive process of that mm -hmm. as music has changed or not. Okay. Um, and sometimes, yes, it can be less mm -hmm. um, conscious. Um, but it's amazing to see good to good concerts of video game music mm. um, and you see... Uh, people who would never set foot in a classical music concert, um, not just being there, but listening and really engaging with the music. Yeah. Um, um, and that's quite something to see, really. Mm. Um, and that's become a huge um, uh, industry in itself. The yeah. Classical They're music. actually streaming a concert by the LSO on... Radio 3 right now, as we're recording this podcast of yes. video game music, aren't they? So, yes, you're absolutely yeah, right, yeah. yes. Um, and it's, I mean, I can, I could understand those who see this as a, uh, an encroachment upon the territory of um, rather more traditional repertoire. Mm -hmm. And I, I can understand that. Um, though I do think that we have to be less prescriptive about our 
um, categories of musical definitions, not least because of so much of what we inherit, have inherited about ideas of canonicity mm -hmm. and high art and all the rest of it is a relatively recent in the grand scheme of things. Um, that this is music that is enjoyed, that's, that's loved, that is so meaningful mm. to players and listeners um, that I, I don't think we can... I think, I think if we become too um, exclusionary about it, we do a disservice to the listeners, we do a disservice to the performers, and we do a disservice to ourselves as people who love, engage, and want to share music. And also in preparation for this interview, I was watching some clips from some video games as well. And what really struck me is that the game is very textural as well. It's very, very multi-layered. And, you know, the music has a massive part in that. The music is actually very, sometimes very complex. And a lot of these games actually touch on very dark subject matters as well. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think people often spend an awful lot of time with games. Yeah. And they spend an awful lot of time with the music, which comes back to what you were suggesting about internalisation. Mm. And I think that's why civilist music is so potent. You know, you look at something like um, Tetris. Yeah. And you have a loop that's something like 40 <laughs> seconds and it goes round and round yeah. and round and round. Um, but within that 40 seconds, that embedded in that is, you know, a whole history of memories, of experiences, of emotions. Mm. Um, um I guess, so writing music for video games can be very complicated indeed. Yeah. So if you want to have music that reacts to players, you might have systems, music systems that, that branch mm -hmm. so that the music follows different routes depending on what happens. Yeah. You might have music that has different layers, so different instrumental sections are layered upon each other mm -hmm. um, or not. Um, you might even have generative music, which is created on the fly, assembled by the, by the system. Um and so you can have very complicated systems. And those come with their own particular compositional challenges. So if you want music that's designed to um, match a climax in the action, how do you write music that, that um, builds to a climax but only reaches that climax at precisely the moment the player does something? Mm. Um, and there are various sort of fun ways you can experiment with that. But at the same time, I think it's important not to say, okay, well, all that clever interactive stuff is really great, um, but the non-interactive stuff is, is less important. Mm -hmm. I think it's important we don't get a value system going on where you say, oh, it's only the clever stuff that really we should be worried about. Um, okay. I think even if it's music that just is one, sometimes just one loop that repeats can still be incredibly effective um, mm -hmm. and, um, and emotionally important for players. Indeed, sometimes... I'm thinking particularly of, of strategy games. A certain amount of musical um, non-reactiveness um, is very, very common for the genre. Mm -hmm. It helps to indicate um, almost a, a dispassionate or fairness to the game. You know, the system is going on, it's playing fair with you. Uh, it doesn't have to, we don't only have to focus on um, the very clever and advanced interactive systems. Mm -hmm. I was actually going to ask you, I mean, how much of the music when composers or when developers are designing the games, I was going to ask you how much of it is data-driven, how much of it is you know, controlled by the player and are there algorithms within the, the game, depending on whether the player wins or loses, that then a certain theme will then come in 
Absolutely. Um, you very often find games that have um, all sorts of interactive systems. Um, and I think it depends on the project and what their budget is mm -hmm. and um, how uh, and what their priorities are for a mm -hmm. game as well. So um, you might find that um, a project doesn't have uh, the budget to spend a lot of time working with the composer. In those situations, generally it's hard to, to do interactive music mm -hmm. because the best interactive music systems, the most effective ones, are often those that have been developed in collaboration with the composer. Mm -hmm. So the programmers and the composers are working sort of together. Oh, um, so that you know, if I say, okay, we're going to have this fantastic music system that layers these different bits of music together, you go, okay, great. But we have to make sure that that works in the context of the game. There are numerous examples of games which have produced beautiful music, choirs, orchestras, all the rest of it, mm. really beautifully recorded music, but it doesn't quite work in the game because the music system doesn't match the musical content very well. So sound is suddenly cut off. Transitions feel odd. Sometimes the music sounds where it doesn't. So it's... Um, if you're going to have complicated interactive systems, you have to have a very good relationship between the composer um, and the, um, the programming team. Mm -hmm. um, if not an extended time to work together, at least very clear ideas about how it's going to, going to work and time to test these systems. Yeah. Um, for smaller budget, pro smaller budget programs, uh, pro games or games that choose not to use interactive systems, it might be far more straightforward. It might be just here is a a cue that plays mm -hmm. every so often or mm -hmm. plays when you win or when you lose or when something happens. So um, there's a huge spectrum of, of, of possibility um, within games as to how they can interact um, mm -hmm. with the player. Um, mm -hmm. But even if you're just talking about music that starts when you start the game and stops when you don't, as a player, you're still triggering that to happen. There's still that dimension of interactivity on the very even on the very fundamental level. I was I was just wondering as well, will the composer um have an input into the design of the, the game as well or compose music and then maybe they have to create different versions like you were saying to kind of fit in with the programming and all of that it, sort it, of thing. Yeah. It, it varies considerably. Um sometimes there's um the approach which is um I've heard some composers refer to it as the over-the-fence approach. Okay. Where someone said, you know, compose me, you know, five minutes of music, and they write the music, and they email the producer, and the producer goes, yeah, sounds great. And they send it off, and they throw it over the over the fence, and they never hear of it until the game comes out. Um, so and in other situations, there will be longer, more complicated working relationships mm -hmm. um, with the composer and the and the production team. Yeah. Uh, and again, there are all sorts of different systems and approaches for doing this. Um, and even in the early 90s, you see some very, very clever music systems. So, for example, if you look like at... The chip music? Yeah. Uh, partly chip okay. music, yes. Um, so there's, there, there are very um, clever ways that people work out to write chip music. Yeah. So if you think of something like... So I'm just really one of my colleagues work, um, uh, Blake Troyes, he goes by the name of Prototype, fantastic composer. Um, 
and he was writing something. Um, he was writing one bit music. Okay. One bit music is music that does can be the off or on, and that's the only control that you can have. <laughs> so if you have one bit music, okay, so I can do off or on. Yeah. So how can I make music out of this? Well, all right, if I speed it up, then I can get a pitch. All right, fantastic. Okay, so now I've got a melody. Okay, but maybe I want more than one melody. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I can I can't play more than one note at once, but maybe if I play two notes in very very rapid succession so quickly, mm-hmm. they can actually then um, sound like they're making a chord. Yeah. So you can do that. So there's so okay, right? So that's another approach. All right. What happens? I know that I can only do on or off, but what happens if I change the shape of that? on and offness of, of, of the wave. Um, well, that changes the, the, the timbre ever so slightly. Mm-hmm. And if I change the timbre, I can also change the volume ever so slightly. Mm-hmm. What happens if I um, then re- make it sound as though it's just doing clicks? Mm-hmm. Okay, I could do that. And then what happens if I speed that up? Well, I can then get to the stage where it almost sounds a bit like a sample or a pulse wave. Mm-hmm. So it sounds uh, you know, like almost like a, a, a sampled um, fragment. So we've gone from having something which is just off or on into having different timbres, into having potentially chords, in potentially having almost sort of almost kinds of samples. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's amazing the, the ways of writing music that have kind of come about from um, inventive ways of dealing with um, small amounts. Um, it's amazing the inventive ways that people have found to write for yeah. these technologies. Mm-hmm. So um, there's that sort of approach, but there's also ways of writing music systems so that if I have a little cue that's looping round, that I can have four or five different endings to that same piece of music depending mm-hmm. on when it's triggered. So it okay. always has a nice conclusion at the end. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if you look at something like uh, Monkey Island 2 from 1990. One, I think it is. Um, you, there are cues there that have three or four different endings, and it always comes to a nice conclusion at the end of mm-hmm. the cue, no matter when you stop the action. Mm-hmm. So there are very clever ways of writing mm-hmm. music for interactive yeah. systems like that. When I was little, I used to play The Sims. <laughs> I used to, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it was a great game. Um, and, you know, we had the Wii and we had dance mats and that sort of thing. And I was thinking that actually maybe there is some kind of inherent value in, in video games in, in that um, it's helping to maybe develop the cognitive side and then there's the interactive side, like you were saying, and listening to the music. And then there's a physical element. And, you know, you think about the new generation of games now, like Fortnite, where you've got all of those dance moves that everybody wants to learn. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah, I think this is a very important point about the way in which games and game music are embedded into culture. Yeah, now, yeah. In a way that I think they, they weren't maybe a few decades ago. Um, they are now, yes, I think games are part of, of, of popular culture and circulate in that, in that as part of the, of what it means to be somebody... Um, growing up and living in the in the late late twentieth and twenty first centuries, yeah. it's, it's part of your your kind of culture. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't want to make inappropriate claims for the value of games as such, but what I, I suppose what I would say is that I think they can be respected in artistic terms, just as um, other kinds of materials as well. I'm not saying that I'm trying to make the argument for games as art with a big A. I'm not 
I don't want to necessarily okay, do that. Okay. Um, but I think they, um, I think the distance between something like games and art, music, opera, are not as far away as people might like to imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, they serve, um, in terms of the educational purpose that you were talking about, one of the things that constantly surprises me is the variety of music and games. Mm. Um, so you could look at the Appalachian folk music that you find in a game like Kentucky Route Zero. Yeah. You could look at the um, electronic you find in Wipeout. You could look at the, you mentioned The Sims, um, the sort of Leroy Anderson sort of material that you yeah. find in, in, in The Sims. Um, and you could, you could, I recently wrote an article about operas in video games. Um, oh. And so you Perfect. find, as says we are in the, the, op- the, the opera. Yeah. Um, so um, there's a, a small but um, distinct tradition of video games that feature staged operas. Oh, yes, um, the, yes, I was watching that clip. There's one, no, Parasite Eve. Oh, Parasite Eve, That's yes. That's it, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, so I wrote a bit about Parasite Eve. So um, there are games like Parasite Eve, like Final Fantasy VI, um, and like Assassin's Creed that feature stage operas. So in Assassin's yeah. Creed Three, the game opens, and one of the first things you do is that you come to Covent Garden and you witness oh, a, um, a production of uh, John Gay's Beggar's Opera. Um, and it acts out in front of you. And the game goes to lengths to tell you about the opera, and even more than that, to make the link between opera and the game and the game as a medium, and say, hey, you know, we love opera, um, partly because of those huge emotions, the, uh, you know, the, the extreme action, the melodrama, all these yeah. wonderful things, these moments of, you know, over-the-top emotion. Mm. Well, that's also what players love in games as well. Yeah. And, you know, just as we can look at the history of the Beggar's Opera, the history of Tosca, and with people saying, oh, you know, they're inciting violence and all the rest of it, these are not so, the comments are not so far away as what people are saying about, about games. It's corrupting the morals, as, as people wrote about the um, Beggar's Opera, mm. corrupting the morals mm. of the nation. Mm. Look, how, look how all these terrible violent acts have been on the increase since... John Gay's Beverly's Opera yeah. has been on the stage. Okay. You know. um, and again, I, I don't really want to get into the argument of video game and violence in, in, in the sort of um, proper um, psychological research side of things. I'm, I'm mm. talking more about cultural reception here. But that maybe, again, that the, the joy that we get from engaging with things like opera and other kinds of artworks is not so different from the kinds of joy we get we get for games and that's not to say that oh look we need to um say uh, that games can be high art too because i think that just reinforces the problem okay. it's more about recognizing that when we enjoy opera art music symphonic music that there is that that visceral quality that playfulness that joy to it that so often has been ignored in in, in academic discussion but that's what keeps people listening to, to music. That's what keep, keeps people playing and enjoying music. So I think that's also why game music, I think, is important. Is it because it helps us to remember the human aspect of engaging with music, that playfulness, that improvisatory quality of, of uh, that interactive nature of engaging with music, mm. that playfulness, I think, is really important. Um, and, and that it, it's a medium that is reaching huge numbers of people. Um, who are encouraged to 
to engage with music. And it, but for example, in one of these video games, it gives you a game called um, Gabriel Knight: The Beast Within. Uh, it's absolutely hilarious. I definitely recommend it. You check it out. <laughs> but as part of that game, you uncover a lost Wagner opera, and as part of the game, you go around Van Fried. Um, searching for clues, looking at artifacts from Wagner's life. And this was a mainstream, huge, high-budget game. This wasn't a niche article, uh, artifact at all. And so these games are engaging with all sorts of aspects of musical culture. You can't really put a dividing line and say, OK, so this is video game music and this is not video game music, mm-hmm. because video games as a medium engage with all sorts of different kinds of music. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do it in a way that captures and enraptures players and that's one of the reasons I think they're so fascinating as objects of study. Yeah. So are you saying then that video game music is a little bit of a halfway house then in that you're saying that you don't want to elevate video game music to being a an art with a capital A if you know what I mean? Mm. Does that does that make sense or? I think it helps us to dismantle the idea of art as a capital A versus E for entertainment. Yeah. Um, and that binary that has been so destructive to, I think, anyway, that false binary of art and entertainment that has been so destructive to musical culture, to classical musical culture, mm-hmm. um, has, I, I think, games can be part of the fight to dismantle that oversimplistic binary because we enjoy the, we can. Uh, if we look at, say, something like Tosca, maybe Tosca's too much of a Lamille example, Mahler, symphonic music, that we can have an aesthetic pre- appreciation of the um, of the Mahler symphony, and we can have an aesthetic appreciation of a video game. We can marvel at its beauty, but we can also have that visceral, immediate engagement with a video game. But that's also we also experience that same kind of visceral thrill when we watch and engage with classical music as well. Um, so I think games are useful bec- because they help to combat oversimplistic ideas of there is the art for you know, sitting down, appreciating, being very nice mm-hmm. and proper about yeah, yeah. And then there's um, entertainment, which is all the sort of, you know, rather more rather more messy, rather more okay. stuff. It's far more complicated than that. These are not absolutes. I think games are really exciting because they, yeah, they help us to get away from simplistic ideas of um, art versus entertainment because they keep the, the, the player in mind mm-hmm. um, and they invite the player to engage with all sorts of different, you know, both the instinctual action, um, reaction mechanics, but also that aesthetic dimension as well because they fuse the ludic, the playful aspects with the aesthetic narrative, all those other aspects as well. And by by being strange objects that combine those things, uh, I think they're really exciting for... They then show us the, the playfulness in art, music mm-hmm. as, as well. Yeah. Um, so talking about play then, is the way that you think about video game music as a player, would you say that's very different um, compared to, say, when you are writing about it from a musicological perspective? I think that's a very... Uh, that's a very good question. I think it's something we all have to struggle with a certain extent. To a certain extent, we have to recognise that we are players as well as analysts. But that's not a bad thing because it helps to show our own agency and analysis. Mm-hmm. Just as somebody who's analysing 
Mozart or, uh, or Wagner or whatever needs to be honest about their own agency as well. Um, claims to objectivity and absolutism should always be very, very carefully um, managed. So, yes, to a certain extent, when you're studying video game music, you as the um, as the player and and analysis are always sort of in the frame a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think that's true of art music analysis as well. It's just less obvious and less openly acknowledged okay. a lot of the time. Okay. Um, so, but yes, you have to then, okay, so then the question becomes, so how do you negotiate between the extremes of, oh, well, this is just my particular position, this is just what I happen to think about it, versus something that has some meaning or value beyond just me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where you come back to robust methodologies. And that's what's exciting about video game music at the moment is because we're still developing those methodologies and approaches. Yes, sometimes we're stealing them from other uh, subjects and more traditional musical analysis. Um, you know, a good bit of thematic analysis is sometimes exactly what a video game needs. But sometimes you have to adapt processes. What happens to... Or in what context is Shankarian analysis appropriate for video games? Sometimes... Great, it can be perfect. Sometimes, if you have an um, adaptive music system, it could completely <laughs> doesn't make sense, well, does it? Exactly. Um, but it, again, it's another example of video games making us, I think, quite conscious of what we're doing and we're engaging with, engaging with music, engaging with studying music as well. Mm-hmm. Is there any research around gamers and their reactions to? Um, music or, you know, how have they responded to your analyses? Or There is some psychological research on, on video game music, mm-hmm. um, which has, uh, it's still a relatively young field. There are some interesting findings in that. Um, there are some studies that suggest that music actually makes you play worse oh. <laughs> when you play a game, but that you enjoy it more. Mm-hmm. Um, which, again, it helps to imply it's not all about... The, it's not all about the winning, it's about the aesthetics as well. Okay. Um, um, in terms of reactions to the work of well, my work and, and my colleagues' work as well, um, that I think a lot of people, a lot of gamers, are, are, are pleased that it's being studied. Um, they're geeks, we are geeks, geeks <laughs> love geeking out about stuff, it's fantastic. Um, <laughs> But in general, the, the communities have been really exciting. There has been quite a lot of research on video game fandom and fan communities mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where um, communities like the site Overclock Remix are full of people taking video game music, either transcribing it or doing rearranging um, and re-performing, re-adapting music um, for, uh, for their own joy of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's really interesting that there is this, such this body of work uh, and body of um, fan labour going on about video game music. You'll go online and go on YouTube and look for arrangements of the Legend of Zelda theme, for yeah. example, and you'll find it in almost every kind of style or instrumentation imaginable, whether that's from a, a Tesla coil zapping at the right pitches through to people on marimbas playing it as a or Pahami or a cappella or you know, almost any arrangement you could you could imagine somebody yeah. has done it. So it's this whole this whole site of people, um, again, who may not really have much, if any, formal musical training, 
going out and transcribing and listening and musicking, for want of a better word. Yeah, yeah. that's true, actually, because there are quite a, there are so many covers, aren't there, on YouTube of game music, and is that because they love the music or is that because they want to put their own creative stamp on it? Or I think there are lots of things going on there. Two things that stand out to me. Um, one is definitely this idea of this is music that means a lot to me and maybe that I've already heard quite a lot um, that I can then recreate and make for myself. Mm. But I think video game music is one of the interesting things about adapting video game music is that it, because of its interactivity, it resists a single definitive version. Mm-hmm. So if I say, hey, I'm going to... Um, if we look, think about the Tetris the famous Tetris theme, which is the Russian, yeah. folk, which is the Russian folk tune. Yeah. Um, if I say, hey, I'm going to play that, I've immediately got to make decisions. All right, okay, so I'm going to play it. Well, am I going to play it using the same sounds as the Game Boy or whatever? Mm-hmm. Or am I going to play it on my own instrument? All right, okay, so immediately I have to adapt it. Mm-hmm. That loop is 40 seconds. Am I just going to play it round once? Or how many times am I going to repeat it? Yeah. So... Um, Immediately, there is no single, there, there can be no one total, absolute authoritative version of that cue. So it's open out for this continual interpretation, reinterpretation, mm. um, which I think makes it more accessible in the sense that people feel as though they can have agency to alter, to change, to adapt in a way that other pieces of music, maybe they don't or feel more constrained at mm-hmm. if you think of i don't know maybe a piece, even a piece of film music you could quite all right yes there might be subtle differences but there's a quite a close idea of what the version the authoritative version of that cue of film music sounds like mm. but then when you get to video game music because of this interactivity there is no one authoritative version so you, you feel more empowered to take liberties and do continual reworkings of it mm-hmm. and so have you got a favourite video game soundtrack that you could tell us about or any listening recommendations for those listeners who are perhaps new to video game music? Um, that's a very tricky, very tricky question because <laughs> there's loads of stuff. I want to tell you all the things. Some of the things, so I've just finished up a book about um, the music of Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time um, oh. and I think that's fascinating. There's some really exciting music in that. That's interesting, not least because it merges several different kinds of musical styles together. So you have the sort of slightly Hollywood style, Korn Gold, Max Steiner sounds of the Zelda music, right through then to how it takes influence from all sorts of other kinds of music. So there's some fake music in there. There's some uh, music that refers to, that seems to refer to the musical traditions of, of Java in there. Oh. Um, there's there's some uh, lots of different geographical regions and musical traditions being drawn on and then built together into this game. And one of the main ways that you interact with this game is by getting your little character Link to play music on an ocarina. And so that brings a whole other dimension of playing the game and playing music together. So I'm enjoying that. Yeah. Um, I would also, a game I'm absolutely wild about is a game called Kentucky Route Zero. Um, it's a little indie game. Okay. Um, it's a magical, they call it a magical realist adventure. Uh, it's this beautiful, very surreal game about a antiques delivery man who is uh, on this quest in rural Kentucky to 
deliver some precious goods. Mm. Uh, the music is exquisite. I would I really recommend that. And if you're into your larger sort of symphonic music, you you can't go wrong with some Final Fantasy. <laughs> but I would recommend that the um, concert that's just been broadcast on Radio Three. Okay. That's a great great place yeah, to start. There's cool, some cool. they have some music by Jessica Curry, who's one of the UK's leading film music composers. Yeah. Um, they have some Final Fantasy in that as well. I love the music of James Hannigan, who is a, a brilliant composer who wrote for some of the Harry Potter games, um, but he's also written some scores for things like um, Evil Genius um, and some really very inventive um, and exciting music that I would I'd recommend his work as well. Mm. But there are all sorts of names I could I, I could I could throw out: so yeah. Jeremy Go, Jeremy Soule, Jason Graves. But yeah. go 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 and explore. And I say that the variety of music out there uh, is, is staggering. And if nothing else, go play. Yeah, get yeah. You have Steam on your computer. You can, <laughs> your video games don't necessarily have to be your oh, it costs, you know, £40 and you need an Xbox or whatever. They can be flash games. They can be um, free games. They can be you know, games that cost, you know, a pound or a donation, or, or charity games that have a donation. Yeah. And they'll almost all have music in them. And I don't know, there's something captivating about interacting with music, even on the most basic level. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that draws us to music in the first place, playing music when we learn our instruments, when we learn to yeah, sing. Yeah, yeah. It's that, play. I don't think it's an accident that there's that same word of play that we use mm. um, for what we do when we play games and when we play music. Yeah. Um, because they, they, it's all about that connection, that reaction, yeah. that um, engagement with music, yeah. which is what, yeah. we, what we love. Yeah. Do you still play video games or has your... I, I, well, I end up playing all sorts of really weird stuff because... Um, I tend to find that my research drives the things I end up playing. Oh, um, that's that's really fun. Like when you, you know, you're just doing something for fun and then you just find that you can make a research paper out of that. Oh, yes. It's so yeah. fun. I mean, I think that's probably the encapsulation of the life of a video game music, <laughs> uh, researcher. Um, it's, you know, you think, oh, that's amazing. There's got to be a yeah, paper in yeah. there somewhere. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, I ended up playing recently. Uh, the video game is based on... Um, Disney's Fantasia. Um, oh, amazing. So I ended up playing those for Wait, a while. That, why is that, is that up the App Store? Um, there are the, the ones that I was looking at, there was one for the... There have been three main games based on Fantasia. The first one was in the 80s, one for the Atari, another one from the 90s for the Mega Drive or the Genesis, and a more recent one for the, for the Xbox, mm-hmm. which is a, a, a gesture game. So you are able to control music using motion gestures. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I I end up playing all sorts of unusual selections of games based on what I end up researching or chasing some strange reference somewhere and uh, seeing what I can kind of come up with. But I, I, uh, yes, sometimes I do find time just to play games for the the joy of it. (laughs) I've been playing a lot of Chime recently, which is a, a video game. It's a bit like... A bit like Tetris, but as you play the game and cover the screen, different musical elements enter the soundscape. Oh, okay. So the musical musical composition evolves as you as you oh, play the game. Okay, that's fun. In different ways. So that, that's okay. Fun. So. Okay, that's really fun. I was in <laughs> I was in um, a very 
well-known store in London <laughs> a few months ago. I won't say which one it was, but they had this... Um, I don't know whether you've seen it, but it's this keyboard and you don't have to even be able to um, play piano in order to play. But I think you can just literally just touch it and move your fingers around the screen and all of oh. that. And yeah, and, and I think they've got it for, you know, like dance remixes as well. Oh, so it's the implications must just be pretty crazy. Uh, so. Yeah, absolutely. There's this whole branch of thinking that talks about how video games have influenced musical influences more generally, uh, sorry, musical interfaces more generally. Um, so how video games influence the design of digital audio workstations or other pieces of music technology as well. Well, as we've discussed, they're engaged in part of the fabric of culture now. Mm. So I think I, I think games are always going to be fascinated by music in some way. Yeah. Um, whether it's the fantasy of being being able to control and play mm. um, or, or even just how we interact with music when we play games. Thank you so much for listening to the Talking Classical podcast. I really hope that you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget that you can subscribe to the Talking Classical podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes and Spotify, where you can catch up with all of the previous episodes and you'll receive a notification every time a new episode is released. You can also follow the Talking Classical podcast on Twitter, on the Talking Classical blog and on Facebook and YouTube, where you can find sneak previews of every episode. Many thanks for listening once again. I hope that you'll be able to join me for the next episode very soon.